It's time to experience the Synergy Connection Show with your host, Lucy Forsting. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Synergy Connection Show, where we do our very best to connect the dots between our spiritual, intellectual, physical, and emotional facets. So we are very, very complex human beings. And a lot of people only see the physical container and they think that's all there is. Well, (laughs) that's not the case. So on our show or my show, I think um, with all of my different guests, I try to bring in different people who can fill in some of the information that comes from, you know, maybe one of those facets. And the person that I have today is a new guest. Um, I'll be introducing him in just a minute, but his name is Matthew Morales, and he's written a new book that I think everyone will find super interesting. Um, If you uh, go to my website, there are 18 pages, I believe right now, of shows from the past four years. And um, all of the shows are archived here. And then, of course, the podcast has been up for a little over a year now. And quite a few of the shows are on there as well. Uh, But if you go to the website, you'll also see a banner for Boomers Forever Young. And the reason I have it there, not only are they sponsors of the show, but also they talk um, the talk and they walk the walk about being physically healthy. Because if you don't have that physical aspect of your being in good shape, it's very difficult for you to put the other three facets into place. Um, We've had almost two years now of COVID and people are still struggling with the Delta variant, Mu, I guess, you know, I heard the other day that Pfizer is even considering a fourth booster shot because they know that it wears off and that people are not able to uh, combat, you know, the new variants as they emerge. And so what I tell people is the importance of vitamin D3. So that's D as in dog three. Uh, You want the next time you go have a physical to have your doctor order a D3 test and a C-reactive protein test. The D3 will give you your level of immunity and it needs to be a number greater than 70. And a lot of times they will tell you that you're in the normal range and it's down around 35 and you have no ability at that point to really fight off anything. And so it may be in the low normal range, you don't want it there, you want it at 70 or above. The other one is the C-reactive protein, that is your inflammation level, and you want that to be below one. So my inflammation level is a 0.3, and that's because I take products from boomers that make a difference in getting toxins out of the body and inflammation reduced. My immune function is an 80. So, you know, I feel very confident as I'm around people that might be sick because I know that my body can handle it and I'm not going to come down with anything. So I just encourage people to go ahead and take personal responsibility. You can go get your vaccine if you feel that you need to have a vaccine. I'm not against that. But what I am saying is obviously the vaccine does not do the whole job and they're finding that out. And so please take personal responsibility, educate yourself, 
you know, check how much you're sleeping. A lot of people are under high stress. They've got uh, adrenal overload. You know, the cortisol is running through your, their body. And so um, there's a product called ashwagandha that helps to control, you know, the adrenal glands a little bit. There is a product called resveratrol that will reduce inflammation and make sure that your arteries are healthy. So stress is doing such a number on everybody. And that's where we have to take personal control of our lives. Uh, we can't expect for a vaccine to do it all. All right. So I want to make sure that that is very clear to people. They can go and they can read the blogs. They can watch some videos. They can read testimonies. And if you decide to order, uh, go ahead and put my first name, L-U-C-Y, in the discount code, and you're going to get $5 off. And in today's world, $5 helps. <laughs> so by all means, check it out. All right, so I have as my new guest today, Matthew Morales, and he's a motivational speaker. He's a thought leader. Um, he's a serial entrepreneur. Matthew, you're going to have to talk about that one. It's almost like serial killer, but you're an entrepreneur instead. <laughs> and um, you connect people back to the soul of their company and teach them how to become profitable. Um, your new book is quite fascinating to me. Uh, never be poor again. And it's on Amazon, right? It is. Yeah. Okay. And um, so I just, you know, we met through LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just, it's a great connection, um, you know, for finding like minded people. Uh, yeah. Also, um, I have had the pleasure of speaking with you a couple of times personally now. So this is fun. But you share how the laws of the universe, you know, for becoming successful, you know, in life, in all aspects of your life, I think, how that actually works. So welcome to the show. And uh, I'm turning it over to you. Uh, how, how did you arrive at that title? That is such an interesting title. Yeah. Th first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. I love talking to you. We have some of the best conversations, so I'm really excited about this. Um, but the title came because it was a moment in my life, a real moment in my life. I was traveling the world with a few friends and my girlfriend at the time. We went all the way through India on $1,500 and for six months. And our first day in Nepal, we were running low on money. We had $80 left. We used $40 to get a visa. Then we had $40 left. We used $20 to pay for two weeks worth of staying at a guest house. And so we had $20 left. Wow. Our first day in Nepal. <laughs> wow. First day. <laughs> okay. And we were like, okay, you know, we need to figure something out. But we decided we we're going to walk around Kathmandu uh -huh. and look for something to eat. And as we were walking around, Nicole got hit by a car. Oh. Nicole was my girlfriend at the time. And, um, you know, obviously we didn't know anything. We didn't know anyone. We hadn't eaten in a long time because we, you know, spent 30 something hours on a bus, you know, um, going up the country. Um, and then by the time we got there, we were so hungry, but we didn't know where we were. So we went to the closest hospital and long story short in the hospital was very, very short. They immediately took x-rays, immediately gave her, um, you know, pain meds, um, which we believe was ketamine and just took care of her. She, it turned out she was fine. They gave her crutches, but in that three hour span, they gave us a bill and the bill was $18 after $2, our first day in the country. And we haven't eaten yet. Oh my Until gosh. Now, 
Nicole is the navigator. I get lost really easily. And, um, but Nicole's all drugged up. I'm the survivalist, but I was so busy trying to survive that I wasn't busy figuring out where we were. So we had no clue where we were, the name of our guest house, how to get back, the language, the streets, nothing. We knew nothing. And so we just started walking back for hours, her on her crutches, trying to find our way back to wherever it was. And she goes, I'm hungry. Can we get something to eat? How much money do we have? And I pull the money out of our pocket and I say, well, we have about two American dollars. Um, so would you rather eat breakfast or dinner? And she broke down crying. And I said, Nicole, what's wrong? She said, I've never had to choose between two meals before. And I broke down crying too, because I had my whole life. And I knew in that moment, there wasn't really something I could say or do. This was her first time experiencing this, but this was, this was normal to me. And then that hit me. This is normal to me. And it's not normal to her. I never want to feel this way again. I never want to feel so broken down, so beat down again that I feel so sad and broken. And so I looked at her and I said, you know what, Nicole, come on, let's get something to eat. And she said, what about tomorrow? And I said, I'm not worried about tomorrow. We're going to figure this out. We're going to be okay. Let's go get something to eat and put something in, inside of our stomachs. And I said, she was like, but you know, wh what are we going to do? I said, you know what, Nicole, I never, ever, ever want to feel this way again. We will never, ever feel so broken down, so beaten down that we feel this sadness again. We, I, we will never be poor again. Nicole, we will never, ever be poor again. And we walked inside of that restaurant. We ate a meal. And we set goals and figured everything that we could do out while we were traveling. And we ended up traveling for 18 months, close to two years around. Wow. How, okay. I'm just dying of curiosity. I, I know one of the goals had to be, you know, to begin to make some income so that you could exactly. eat. So mm -hmm. how did you do that? So we made a list and the list was everything we could possibly think of that would be a skill in one way or another. And I mean, even the menial things, um, things like cleaning and doing laundry, we put that on the list and we translated that to an occupation, right? That could be um, housekeeping, that could be janitorial work, but we wrote everything down. I, I danced salsa, bachata, merengue. So I wrote that down. I know nutrition because I went to school and studied nutrition and herbs and things like that. So I, we wrote that down and massage therapy and I know martial arts and just every single possible thing that I could think of, we wrote it down. And if we couldn't, if it wasn't something we could sell, then we sold it as a class. I made a class for it, a three, four, five class, little session charged and started putting flyers around and we just made our way. And it, we had such a great time. We ended up doing massage. We taught salsa in Nepal and Thailand. We lived in forests and in jungles and we volunteered on farms and we were in movies in other countries and we did everything you could think of because we opened our minds to the possibilities mm -hmm. and we were able to travel the whole time. We were able to just travel the whole time with what we had. But what courage you had to both have in order to do that, because the majority of people and myself included, you know, would have probably thought, well, wait a minute, you know, how is this going to work? I mean, there would have been a fear in there of, or anxiety or something that would have been there. So you guys just kind of looked at it and said, there's no choice. We have to yeah. do this. Yeah, there, there's no choice. And, but also I had been through this my whole life and as sad as that is, right. I kept 
repeating this same cycle in my life, the same cycle. And I used to blame it on being poor. I used to say, well, no one taught me about money. Nobody taught me finances, you know? Mm-hmm. And I used to blame it on the fact that I grew up in the hood or that I grew up poor, but that's not true because my father did everything he could to teach me and have me read books. My father gave me hundreds of books, made me read Rich, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Thinking Grow Rich as a Child, The Secret. My mother was a businesswoman. They used to take me to seminars, to real estate seminars, whatever, but it hit me. It really hit me. It's not my poverty keeping me poor. It's my arrogance. Because, because I read all the books. Yeah. Well, it was, yeah, I thought I knew everything, right? I read, but I read all the books and I went to all the seminars and I did all that stuff. And yet I was still in the same position and it hit me. I might've been reading all the books, but I was skipping past the intros and the conclusions. And I was not doing the exercises when it told me, because I was too smart for the exercise. I understood the point in the exercise, so I didn't need to do it. But that's exactly why I was where I was at. And it really hit me that there's a recipe, there's a minimum formula, right? And no matter how intelligent I am, I cannot switch flour for sugar and expect a cake to appear. (laughs) I just can't, right? There's a minimum formula. There's a a basic principles that I must follow. But then after I understand the principles, then I can make a cupcake or a muffin or a wedding cake, big, small, purple, blue, different colors, topsy-turvy. But it's not until I understand the fundamentals and the principles and I can't change that part. And that's what hit me. I had to find the fundamentals and the principles behind everything. And that's what this book focuses on. That's what it teaches. It doesn't matter what financial books you read, what strategies, anything, they all come down to principles. And so I decided to focus on the principles that I wasn't following. Wow. Um, Before we started recording, I had told you that I I wanted to have you read um, on page 62, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just where you were prior to getting to India, the one-way ticket that you took to India. But um, just prior to that, you had gone on your first, what you called a pilgrimage, you know, and looking for your soul, looking for, you know, trying to process anger that you experienced at that time. So I would love to have you read Uh, just that little excerpt, because it sort of sets the foundation for where we're going to go now into what these principles are. So this takes you a little bit back in time, and you knew you had to change. Yeah, exactly. Okay. (sighs) I decided to do something bigger than myself to help me wither out of this guilt, fear, and anger, like a snake sheds its skin, a pilgrimage was started out as a joke and fun discussions with friends became my first spiritual pilgrimage and deep active meditation. Two friends and I walked 265 miles from Temecula, California through Death Valley to Las Vegas. I gave it a lot of other reasons and stories and excuses as to why I made this journey, but the truth is I was angry and scared of killing myself. I was so angry, afraid and fearful that I contemplated taking my own life. I did the only thing that I knew that could get me out of my depression. I walked. I walked through my feelings of death, through my feelings of pity, through Death Valley, and it saved my life. A year and a half later, due to the spiritual awakening that I had, I decided to go on my second spiritual pilgrimage. I bought a one-way ticket to India. I spent time meandering through India as I backpacked through the country, then into Nepal, 
Friends often asked if I was running away from my problems when I left. The truth is, maybe I was. But as Nicole once eloquently told me, everyone thinks that you travel to run away from your problems. But the truth is, your problems are the only things that you bring with you. So I'd tell everyone that I didn't run away from my problems, but I ran towards them. This is what I needed to do for me by bringing them with me around the world. And with the world as my guide, I began my path to money as a spiritual practice. That is so beautifully said. You know, it really and truly is. Um, so let's go forward and look at when did you decide to write this book? Oh, I was, that's a great question. I was teaching finances, personal finances, um, through just through YouTube and I mean, through, um, zoom calls and things like that as we're doing. Uh -huh. And I was, um, helping out companies. I was helping out, um, individuals and entrepreneurs and all this stuff. And my daughter, who I mentioned throughout the book, she said, you know, that I realized that everybody seems to ask the same kind of things over and over and over. It kind of, doesn't it get repetitive doing that? And I said, yeah, it kind of does. And she said, well, you should make something, you know, I think you should write a book. Hmm. And I was like, oh, that's a great, you know, that's a great idea. I think I should do that. And I remembered, I was like, well, I have all these articles that I've written, all these blogs. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to compile them into a little book. And instead, this completely changed. What was going to be a tiny little $2 ebook with a page about marketing and sales and, you know, how to meet people and all these beautiful skills that I've grown up along the way, I realized that it was different. I didn't want to write a book about becoming rich. Everybody talks about uh, makes a self help book on finances and it's about getting rich but the truth is i'm poor and i grew up poor can i first just not be that <laughs> yeah and so that's what i realized that if i write this what i'm writing isn't about becoming wealthy it's just about not being poor anymore and what it takes and that it's actually a spiritual practice and that's what took me i decided to show people that this is a spiritual practice. This took me many, many years of not listening to the rules before it really hit me that I had no choice, that my arrogance was me avoiding my own ignorance. And ignorance is ignoring, taking a stance and ignoring. And so I had to humble myself. And this book was a big part of that. Hmm. You know, um, I, I talk in terms of a mindset. And to me, you know, poverty, being poor is a mindset as much as it is anything, because what we think we are, we become. Exactly. And so by changing that thought process, um, it is a spiritual journey. It's a journey into looking at how did you get that mindset? Where did that come from? And what's exactly. interesting to me is that your mother and father it sounds like they didn't have that mindset, you know, that they were going to seminars, they were reading books that said, you don't have to be stuck here. And still yeah. somehow yeah. they were. Yeah, exactly. Because you came exactly. out of poverty, you said. So I'm, I'm guessing mm -hmm. that poverty did exist in your home and yet mm -hmm. they had all the tools. Exactly. And you're right. And that was one thing I talked, I talked to my father about it before, you know, I, and it's like, dad, I love you, but 
you know, you had me read all these books and all these seminars and all these things and taught me all these things, but you're doing, still doing the same thing. I don't want to be inflicted with that. And that's what I was inflicted with. I was inflicted with procrastination. I was inflicted with taking all this information, reading in all these books, but not actually practically applying them into my life step by step. And isn't that true of, you know, when I talk about the dots, connecting the dots, I think it's true of every single area. I know people who have attended college forever. They don't want to get out into the real world and do it, but they have multiple PhDs. You know, maybe they're even MDs. And yet, you know, they hesitate to become everything that they studied to be because of a fear that somehow they won't measure up or they won't be mm -hmm. successful. So it's easier to say they have the degrees than it is to actually go do it, right? Exactly. And emotionally, I know so many people who talk the talk, you know, about mm -hmm. emotional wellness. Um, I'm going to give you some examples here of, I'm sure you've gone to um, people who are readers, you know, they do past life readings, they, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, do tarot cards, they you know, look into crystal balls, you know, and those kind of things. But emotionally, you're familiar with chakras, I know. And so, Absolutely. yeah, so the chakras in our body have to be uh, in balance. You know, there, there has to be a fluidity between them. Otherwise, the energy gets stuck, right? Exactly. And so, you know, with the emotional part, I know people who have read and read and read all about emotional health, but if they're not putting into practice, if they're not, you know, becoming heart centered, as opposed to living in their heads, and just talking about the intellectual part of life, and the emotional part as it relates to intellectual being, then they're not there, you know, either. Exactly. And I used to have people come into my office in Green Bay, because we had three clinics, and I would travel as president from clinic to clinic, but I would have, you know, different people that I would see at different places and they would come in and they were professionals. They, some were, uh, I had a couple that were Green Bay Packers, you know, in Green Bay. So they were amazing individuals success wise. And yet they would say, I'm not happy. And yeah. so your journey is, is all about seeking that balance. How mm -hmm. do you find happiness? in those four aspects of who we are. Yeah. And I think that is so cool that, you know, you, you made the decision, I don't want to live a poor life anymore, but I'm guessing it's a poor life across the board. And you said, no, I don't want to do it anymore. I want to live a life that is healthy and wealthy in all four areas. Yeah, and because the way we do anything is the way we do everything. And so it, exactly. it hit me after all this time that money was just a symptom of how I was going about the world, how mm -hmm. I was treating people, how I was serving people, because that's really what it is. Uh, it, the way we do anything is the way we do everything. So if, if my gas, if I let my gas tank get to empty before I refill it, right then it's probably likely that I let my fridge get empty before I get new things. And it's probably likely that I don't do laundry until I run out of my underwear and that you let your bank account go to zero uh -huh. um, before you get more money. So these are, you know, these represent each other. Same thing. People who see a penny on the ground and don't pick it up because it's just a penny. They also see opportunity. Sometimes it's beneath them. Mm 
and walk right past phenomenal opportunities. But something was just given to them. This was, they were just gifted with this beautiful gift, but instead they throw it away. And so you're right. I learned that this poverty was a spiritual poverty, a mental poverty, a physical poverty, not just financial. Mm-hmm. You know, and there was a lot of anger. And I realized with anger also comes poverty and with poverty comes anger. And I did, I had to let that go. I, as much as this was a practice of finances, this was a practice of letting go of anger, of finding peace. And like you said, happiness, because even the psychological definition of happiness is when our reality exceeds or meets our expectations. But just so that just in that definition, happiness was created before it happened. Hmm. It's an illusion. Mm-hmm. Happiness is this illusion. So we can decide to be happy before, but instead we say, if this goes this way, then I'm going to be sad, angry, upset, or disturbed. We pick five other replacements for happy. Right. Before it's even happened. Right. You know, um, in in private counseling, uh, which, you know, I still do, I I talk to people about their emotional triggers. And, Mm -hmm. And that's what you're kind of talking about is that there are times when, either somebody says something or somebody does something or you observe something and it sets off this emotional trigger and boom, you know, you jump to that spot and that wasn't even necessary, but because it has to do with the triggering device, you're there. So do you talk about that in the book um, as to how to stop letting the triggers affect you? Financial trauma. Mm-hmm. I talk about I talk about the idea of traumas where we become and I didn't expound on this and I will in my next book, but the idea that we can be traumatized on anything we can have an mm-hmm. artistic trauma, right, and we can have a financial trauma, uh, in the sense where we can't even talk about money where we're offended by someone bringing up money. How can something as simple as money offend you? And so when a family talks about it's disrespect for things, isn't that interesting how we have that trauma but when I'm around millionaires we're talking about business, we're talking about deals, we're talking about, and money is, we talk about money as well, but it's a small thing, not a gloat or whatever, but it's just a normal part of everyday life, a normal part of everyday conversation. There's no trauma, there's no trigger behind it. And so it's recognizing inside, that's why I say money is a spiritual practice because it's a reflective one. We have to reflect and look within find those feelings, find those habits and where did they come from and what can I do to find better ones? Mm-hmm. So where do you find better ones? How do you uh, go about that process? Easy. That one is very easy. Find someone you admire, find someone that has the things that you, you want, the feelings that you want to have in life, that happiness, those goals, and they're similar to you and mimic them. You know, hang around them, spend time with them. We hear that birds of a feather flock together or that you become like your five closest friends or hang out in a barbershop long enough, you're bound to get a haircut. All these things (laughs) to say the same thing. Right, right. right. So if you're struggling in life, just hang out around five new people. That's it. Sometimes it's hard for individuals and, you know, and I'm thinking of people that I've worked with, it's hard for them to find those kinds of people that they want. That's to the skill. That's the skill is finding those people. And so here's the secret it's there's always a group for it. And my father once told me, I once asked my dad, dad, do you care if I go to college? He said, no, I don't care. Why don't you care? Well, because your college is right here. And he pointed to the books, the answers are here. Mm-hmm. And People who have the answers want to share them. 
that's why there's recipe books and that's why there's books on finances and that's why there's books on stocks. There's always a book about it. It's the same. Do you want to find people that have what you want? Those people want to share. They want to give you those answers. They're in those groups. They have groups like that. They're in those types of communities. They hang out in those types of places. If you want to learn golf, just go to a golf course. Right. Right. That's it. Just go and keep showing up and keep showing up and, and you're bound to pick something up. And so it's like that. We have to find people. Yeah. Did you ever belong to a mastermind group? I've belonged to mastermind groups. I've gone to seminars. I go to, you know, I volunteer a lot. I love one thing that I learned is I do not go to school for school ever. Mm. I go to, and I do not go to work for work. I go to work to learn Mm -hmm. and I go to school for work and art. Okay. I can learn anything I want. I don't need to go to school to learn. I surround, I go to school to be around a certain type of people who are learning those things. Right. And that's what makes the difference. I don't go to school to learn. I can learn every single day. I'm spending the rest of my life learning, but I want to be around people trying to learn these things. Mm Mm-hmm. And for work, I don't want to feel like work. I want to feel like I'm learning because people don't realize it. But the only thing humans have ever done is learn. That's the only thing we do. That's it. Everything comes back down to learning. We love to learn. But you know what's really sad? And uh, you're young enough that you have not probably experienced this unless it's through your parents, um, is a lot of people reach an age, and I'm very aware of this now, that they stop learning. They start looking at mm-hmm. what they've done in the past, and that's what they talk about. And they don't really talk about the next exciting thing that they're doing. You know, it, it's like they've kind yeah. of given that up and they go, oh, well, I'm, and maybe part of it is living in Florida because they always refer to this area as God's waiting room. And so, you know, maybe a part of it is that, is that there's so many older people who have stopped living in the sense of learning and getting excited about exactly. life. My father once said something to me that really, I, once I was really young and it really stuck with me, but he used to joke that the bigger your dreams, the longer you live. Oh, I believe that. And I, I didn't really understand what that meant. And it hit me that if your dreams are bigger than your existence, mm-hmm. right, then one, you're likely to live longer just because you have a goal, you have a purpose, right? So it's not, you, you don't hit your goal at 50 and you're like, okay, now what? You know, no, it's bigger than you. But two, you get to live because your book or whatever it is, is passed down and you get to help people for hundreds and hundreds or thousands and thousands of years. And so I think people that, I don't think it's an age thing. I think it's uh, a set of goals or achievements that we either achieved and now we feel like we've reached a pinnacle or haven't achieved and reached like we'll never reach the pinnacle. And I think that stops us instead of just dreaming more and dreaming more, dreaming outside of ourselves. My goal, I don't understand being on this earth if I'm not going to help people for at least the next thousand years. Wow. That's me personally. That's me personally. I don't want to be here if I'm not going to help civilization, society, the world and for the next thousand years. Otherwise, there's no point for me to be here. So what is your next, let's say, five-year goal? Where do you want to be and what do you want to be doing to help at that point? Um, That is a great question, actually. So I have this dream of building a business that I I call like the reading room. Mm -hmm. 
And it would be like a really beautiful Parisian cafe, but like you walk in and it's kind of like a mix of blockbuster style with the library. So you walk in and it's really cozy. There's books all over all of the walls and you can sit down and sit on these comfy couches all day and cover yourself in a blanket and you hang out all day and we'll just, we'll serve drinks and beautiful and delicious cafe, uh, coffee and espressos and croissants and delicious, delicious meals. But also as far as the books go, I want you to be able to stay there all day, grab a couple books, just walk out the front door with it, right? After two, three days, it just starts charging your account, I don't know, 30 cents a day or something. Mm -hmm. And so I would love for this to become, you know, something that I did so that I can pass down the idea of teaching. And in this, I want to have these, you know, um, this charity and having students and stuff come here and getting back to reading and getting back to learning. And I do have a big goal in my life. My big, big goal in my life is I would love to build a completely holistic hospital where everything is grown, all the medicine, everything is completely naturally sourced and grown, mixed in with um, the um, ER and the emergency area with Western doctors so that we have an integration of pre and post. So that's a huge dream of mine. Oh, that's such a worthwhile one. Such a worthwhile one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that's like, you know, as I introduced my program, there is obviously a need for we have to have surgeons and we have to, you know, have Western medicine for some things. But if we mm-hmm. approached life with the idea that we were going to be preventative in the way we uh, looked and handled, you know, our well-being and not waiting exactly. until we get into disease mode, uh, you know, most of the people that have died from COVID were either diabetic or they had pre-existing lung conditions like COPD, or they mm-hmm. were um, very obese. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the pre-existing is what really did the men uh, because they weren't able to fight off then a virus that was going to be so invasive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, there, there needs to be this internal thing, this internal desire to heal in order to heal, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, uh, one of the things that um, many people know about me is I am a healer. And so I'm a Reiki master, but I don't mm-hmm. use the Reiki symbols so much. I learned many years ago, because I've been a Reiki master for about 25 years, mm-hmm. that it's all done by making sure you're in alignment, and that energy is flowing through you. And so when I put my hands even near somebody, they can feel the heat, and they can feel the energy you know, coming off. And yeah, so I mean, we have I mean, it's not just me, we all have this ability to heal ourselves to heal one another. But we don't, we don't know that we have it, you know, unless you learn a little bit about it along the way. Yes, yes. Um, That was Utsui. Yes, yes. Well, that is my that's my training, the Utsui method. Mine as well. Yours as well. Okay. Mine as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember it it was a, um, for my basic, you know, first level, uh, it was a three day weekend. It wasn't really a three full day. It was an all day Saturday, all day Sunday, but then a Friday evening. And then uh, you got all of your credentials and paperwork for level one. But um, I remember when she was teaching us because she was from Japan and there was a, person that was on my table and her head was in my hands and all of a sudden I mean I'd never had this happen before you know as a psychotherapist I get messages but this was coming through the physical contact 
And I could see that she had had this really vicious accident, that it was cold, that her head had been thrown against a window. So I was just reporting and everybody was like, holy cow, you know, and I, she, the lady that was teaching us, she said, you do have a gift. So, you know, use it wisely. Yes. That's beautiful. Wow. Wow. So you're a a Reiki master as well. Yeah. I studied different, uh, a bunch of different energy works and I'm all about just learning as Mm -hmm. much as I can, especially about healing. And, you know, so I, whether it's Western medicine, Eastern medicine, holistic, allopathic, naturopathic, Mm. all of it, just different ways to heal um, on the psychosomatic level. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what I'm all about, you know, and I think that's the spiritual practice. Uh, once again, that, that reflection and my ability to turn anything into a spiritual practice because of that reflection. Well, it's like you digest it. So you don't just read it, but you apply it because it becomes a part of your life. Exactly. Yeah. Because, and I didn't used to do that. Right. And that's what we were talking about in, in the book. I didn't used to do that. And I'm showing that that's something I didn't do. So I want people to see that I'm obviously not perfect and that these things, right? We see all these books about becoming wealthy or becoming spiritually better or whatever it is, health, self-help, mm-hmm. but it's always from the position of the person who is there, right? never from the position of the person who's not there. And that's what I wanted to show. I wanted to show the parts of my life where there was guns pointed to my head, where I couldn't eat for days, where I wasn't sure what to do. And I had a possible answer and I just didn't listen you know, and um, that's what I want to show. Do you think that, I mean, because this is one of my beliefs is that I think we have um, guides. I'm just going to call them Mm -hmm. that. I think they're spiritual beings and that when we're open, they show up. It's like they kind of wait in the wings and we don't contact them very often. So, you know, they just have to wait and twiddle their thumbs and kind of say, okay, is he ever going to, or is she ever going to? And then we reach a point in our life where we go, show me the way, you know, give me the inner understanding that I need, not just the external understanding. And at that point they come in. Um, So I'm guessing that you also have that similar belief. Yes. Uh, and on top of that, I believe that when, because they have a hard time communicating with us and just showing us the way sometimes that sometimes it might be something as simple as them entering your pen and helping you write that beautiful poetry mm-hmm. that, you know, that a uh, gentle touch on the shoulder that for some reason, you just all of a sudden remember to calm down and to take your breath and these, these little things. And that brings us towards them. And, and, they find other ways to help us and guide us until we open that channel of communication. Right. Right. In the last, um, I would say year and a half, uh, because I've talked to a number of people about this. Um, I have had 15 double egg yolks and talk about, I mean that, yeah, most people don't even see one or they might see one every once in a while. Uh, Whenever I'm, like searching, I guess, maybe for an answer or a confirmation about something, I'll crack an egg and there will be a double egg yolk. It'd be like, okay, (laughs) I guess, you know, this is supposed to be the case. There is a park that's very close to where I live and there's a lot of orb activity, but orbs are always around me and they're different colors. Uh, Some are golden and some are silver and some are blue and some are green. But um, I believe those are guides, you know, that are just there to say, okay, you're going in the right direction, you know, just keep trusting, keep moving forward. 
So and do you all have arms around you? a lot of awareness. Yeah. Um, oh, I've got a lot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, it's hard to explain, but I, you know, the more I meditate and the more I just fall into these moments, you know, I fall into these moments of the serene peace. I talk about that in my book, mm-hmm. sometimes for hours at a time or days at a time. It's more like just this, everything is surrounded by light. You know, everything has this beautiful sheen around it. Mm-hmm. And um, that's that's probably the most common experience I have. A lot of things are just surrounded by light and this beautiful warmth and glow and motherly embrace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How is your daughter, uh, you know, like handling all of this at this point? How old is she now? She is 12 and she loves it. Does she? She lo- if, if she, Oh, if she could jump on the radio with me every time. Oh, I bet she would. In a second. <laughs> you know, she, she loves it. She thinks it's really cool. She likes the book, you know, she, uh, she thinks that's really cool as well. And she also loves to write herself. She's actually a phenomenal writer herself for a 12 years old, 12 year old, but um, she's really excited about this. And does she apply some of the principles in her life? Oh yeah. My daughter um, is definitely already like a entrepreneur businesswoman. She, one thing my daughter loves to do herself right now, and she's not doing much with it, but she makes fashion and I mean like a lot of fashion she makes hats and dresses and just anything she makes it from hand beautifully and a lot of people ask her to make stuff for her sometimes it'll be teachers or friends and so she's getting to this point where you know she talks about she'll make like stickers and stuff to sell stickers and things like that so she's definitely going to be a strong powerful philosophical businesswoman at that Hmm. Uh, maybe she needs to get into her own little Etsy business yeah, exactly. exactly. You know, I, mean, I know that'll happen soon enough. Soon yeah, enough. yeah. Um, my granddaughter actually has an Etsy business and she graduated from the Ringling School of Fine Art a couple of years ago and mm-hmm. is now get, working on her graduate degree. But, um, you know, I think the younger they are, the more creative they are, you can, you know, help them kind of have exactly. something on the side and just, you know, explore exactly. what it means to be in business. Mm-hmm. yeah and it's fun for them if you keep it fun for them you yeah, know it's I, like they it's like not. doing it but as long as you don't turn it into this we have to do this and we have to do that uh-huh. oh they love it and they become so good at it their kids are the best business people because they're not scared they're just like you want to try my thing yeah exactly they don't worry about somebody saying no thank you <laughs> yeah exactly. They, they just go on next <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, at least the kids i know you know they're pretty pretty brave uh at approaching yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, this whole journey. Um, Where do you feel, what was the turning point for you, you know, as you were writing the book and living the book, where did you finally get that aha moment of, ah, this is what I've been missing. Now I understand. Are you talking about after I wrote the book or in the story? Well, sometimes the story line, I know from writing my own book, um, I wrote it. I know I channeled my book, um, Mm -hmm. but I also realized that the story was continuing to teach me some of the principles. And I'm guessing that as you wrote your book, it was reinforcing or even broadening your understanding of the reason behind the book. Absolutely. The more I wrote it, the more I saw how much I had these rules, these laws already just 
you know, in my body without recognizing, you know, I think about um, the fact that there are times where I'm like, I can't wait till I can be this far. Right. And then all of a sudden it's three years later and you don't realize that you surpassed whatever that level was 10 Uh times over. But there was a point where it was a struggle for you, where you were worried about it, where you didn't think you could do it. And so one of those things for me, um, and it's the same thing in that chapter, humble me. That's probably my favorite chapter because that was a big turning point in my life, you know, where I was spiritual, but where I had that, I asked that question, why am I still in the same position over and over again? And mm-hmm. I realized that I was being arrogant. And so after I decided it's time to cure my arrogance, that's literally what I decided. It's time to cure my arrogance. Then I said, I'm going to cure my procrastination. Then I'm going to cure my, I'm going to cure my anger. I'm going to cure all these things. It became this beautiful process mm-hmm. of becoming aware. And when I look back and as I was writing, I said, wow, I remember how much of a struggle that was. I remember feeling plagued with procrastination. Feel I'd go weeks and weeks avoiding things that now, you know, I'll avoid it for a day. Mm. And now I'm like, oh my God, a day. But I realized one thing and aim for myself was that I wanted to take all my absolute best habits that I have and make them my worst habits. So that on my worst days, I'm still still doing doing amazing. Exactly. And so it became this process of continuously making my best habits, my worst habits, and then taking, making new best habits and making them my worst habits. And now my lowest, my lowest is far above. I was far further than I was in my twenties. And I love it. I love it every single year. And that's been a beautiful development as I grow to see that, that I'm accomplishing these things to see how much I've done to remember where I came from to mm-hmm. remember where I came from. Mm-hmm. I came from, you know, bullet holes and, and robberies, you know, that's where I came from. Well, um, and now, I mean, it would be like you are on a skyscraper looking down at your worst habits from many, many, many years ago and realizing exactly. that they've all become stepping stones. Yes, exactly. And exactly. And I couldn't take the elevator. No, so I just had to no, take the stairs had, one step at a time, right? Yeah, one step at a time. You know, when you were talking a few minutes ago um, about the process, I I couldn't help but think about, um, there's a book, it's an old book called Hope for the Flowers. Did you ever see it? I've never heard of it. Really? It's about two caterpillars. And the caterpillar, one is striped, and that's the male, and one is yellow. And there's a caterpillar pillar of caterpillars. And they're all stepping on each other to get to the top. Okay. If you can sort of envision that. And the yellow one is beginning to go, you know, I don't think it's worth getting to the top of this heap. I'm feeling that this isn't my destination. So she turns around and she goes and she forms a cocoon and becomes a yellow butterfly. That is her destination. But Stripe is still trying to work his way to the top. And so she flutters by him to get his attention and to say, hey, you know, the direction you're going isn't the real direction in life. And he eventually gets the message and, you know, follows her and becomes, you know, makes his own cocoon and becomes a striped butterfly. So there are books like that that teach, you know, the, the message is look within, you know, not without. 
find, like you said, your spiritual laws to live your life because that's where success ultimately comes from. Um, there was one called um, The Giving Tree that Shel Silverstein wrote many years ago. That's a fantastic that one, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Velveteen Rabbit did the same Velveteen thing. Rabbit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there are so many children's books, The Little Engine That Could. I mean, that started mm-hmm. back, I think, in 1918. Um, yeah. So these books have principles, even for children, to say, no, you know, the ultimate message is for you to believe in yourself, to, you know, watch where your thoughts go, because that creates your reality. And, you know, back to your book, you know, if you have a poverty mentality, if you think that's all there is for you, because of where you were born or the family you're born into, then you never try, you give up, because you figure, no, that's not for me. Yeah. So it's fascinating that Exactly. And I just wish, and that's why I tried to, to blend them, is that we have these beautiful books that teach these philosophies, these mm-hmm. spiritual things, but, you know, they're usually teaching them in metaphor or analogy or something. And we need a leader, someone to be able to ground that into reality for us and show us what that means. And that, that's even rules. How many times did I hear growing up, I say, oh, well, I never learned money, but I was told to invest my money. And I was told to spend less money than I made. And I was told not to count my chickens before they hatched. And I was told, you know, right. I was told all these things, not to spend my check before I had it. I was taught all these things, but I didn't do it. And it's because no one grounded them into reality of what that actually means, how to apply that. And that's why my parents struggled, no matter how much they read those books, because they didn't have anyone to show them what it meant to apply it. And I didn't have anyone to show me what it meant to apply it at first until my parents started learning to apply it. And then I started following what they're doing and then going to the seminars and following what they're doing and seeing what I wasn't. But the answers are there. Uh And yet we need a representation. How many times do we hear an idiom and go, oh, I never realized that's what that meant. Counting your chickens before they hatch. I didn't literally understand what that meant. I had a kind of visual picture. But when I say, yeah, don't count your chickens before they hatch, you have eggs, count your eggs. Right, right. That's, I can bring it a little bit more literal, right? And say, what that means is if I have a paycheck, you know, like don't spend, uh, don't, before I get that paycheck, don't say, oh, I'm going to spend it on this and I'm going to go spend it on this and I'm going to spend it on this and I'm going to spend it on this because what if it ends up less than that or more than that or it doesn't appear or all these things happen. You have eggs, not chickens. Right. Exactly. And they may hatch or they may not. And, and they may hatch and they may not. And which is okay if they don't, they'll just be something else and keeping right. that, that openness. But all these rules, all these laws, all these philosophies, all these idioms, actually knowing what they meant, that was the difference because I started applying them. Here's another thing to consider, you know, as you look at that part, because if, and, and, you know, I know you understand, you know, chakras and how energy works, but if you have your, let's say root chakra, totally screwed up so that you are not connected to the earth and you don't have that basic foundation. Again, I know an awful lot of people that are are spiritual in nature and, you know, physically they're a mess. Uh, Emotionally, they may be a mess. And a lot of it is because they haven't gone back down to the root and stabilized that. And so, exactly. you know, 
that's part of all of this too is Mm -hmm. and and that's why i say connect the dots is Mm -hmm. we can learn through books we can begin to try to apply the principles but if there is a part of our life that is still detached somehow and we're not working that alignment process then it still isn't going to be as successful but if we can learn to intertwine all of it and use it as stepping stones you know like oh i've learned now that i do need to sleep more than five hours a night i've learned now that i do need to balance my diet i've learned now that i do need to share what i'm feeling emotionally otherwise i bottle it all up inside and that's destructive and stress leads to disease you know i mean it's like there's so many little threads and we have to pull them together and kind of really look at them and apply them in our life in order to get that balance. And then things, then the doors open, windows begin yeah. to open. Yeah, and we have to look, well, you're right. We have to be able to look outside of that because you talked about the root chakra and when the root mm-hmm. chakra is unbalanced, we're all about survival. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who doesn't know, survival is the minimum of life. Mm-hmm. It's what we do every single day, every single moment. So if you're aiming just to survive, you're living and thinking and feeling at the bare minimum. It becomes hard to think and feel about those other things, but we have to open our eyes to, we have to bring in this awareness and open our eyes and be willing to look past just surviving right? and looking into thriving and right. to growing, you know, and that comes from sharing and that comes from community unity. That's where these things come from. So well, actually- the- The the, the growing part is just so, so important at any age. You know, we expect Mm -hmm. toddlers to grow physically and grow in their skills. But like I said earlier, you know, we need to be growing well past 80, 90, 100. I mean, learn new things, talk about new things, Mm -hmm. share new things, you know, always have your foot and your hand out there, you know, reaching out for what's next. Yeah. You know, what's funny too, is um, I just thought of this. I don't think I've ever said this on a radio show, but um, when we talk about Darwin and people talk about what Darwin taught in evolution, they talk about survival of the fittest. Uh Now, when he spoke about survival of the fittest, what's interesting is first of all, he mentioned the word love way more than he mentioned survival of the fittest. But a lot of people mention survival of the fittest and don't really know what he was speaking of. And people always associate it with strength but actually it was community. Mm. It was our ability to work together for separate purpose or common purpose. The willingness to work together that makes us the fittest species. So people, if you are struggling, if you feel like you are having a hard time, simply the answer is real community, real community. Okay. And that would fall in line with your two goals, the community of the store that serves the wonderful French baguettes, maybe, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, croissants yeah. and, uh, you know, the, the books and the community of people that are like-minded that want to learn and that are going to take books, you know, with them and learn from them. And then the hospital, you know, because that is a learning institution where, you can marry the Western and the Eastern philosophies and you get health and wellness. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not exactly. one or the other. So yeah, it's all both of, of those are communities. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
Well, Matthew, it has been a total pleasure having you on the show. Um, I want to have you back maybe in February, if uh, that's possible for you. And uh, tell people where they can find you, please. Yes, of course. Um, please follow me on Instagram, Money Mystic 359. You can find me on Facebook through Money Mystic. My name is Matthew Morales. You can also search that. You can go to my website, moneymystic.co. That's moneymystic.co, not moneymystic.com. And you can get my book from Amazon. You can find it on Kindle or paperback, and soon you'll be able to get it on hardback as well. Wow, that is just really fun, 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 fun. And uh, you said you've got another book idea, or are you working on Oh, it? yeah, I, I have an idea. I think I want to do a similar style book. For anyone that doesn't know, quick, the way my book works is the first third of the book is story and showing me being broke and struggling. This section, sec, a middle section of the book is me teaching the philosophies, the recipes, the laws of money. And then the third part of the book is closing off the story of me struggling and moving into me having followed those laws. I want to do something similar, I think, with my spiritual life on how I grew up really spiritual and then I moved away from that and, you know, the anger, the violence, the almost going into prison, um, you know, and then the walk I did and going to India and, you know, reading these books and meditating and falling into these deep states of bliss, but the same way where I start off with story, then go into the things I've learned and, you know, the rules and philosophies and then back into story as, as, again. Mm. So that's an, that's an idea I think I'm, I'm playing with. Sounds like a great idea. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody that is has listened to this program, please share it with others. Let them know about Matthew and his book and his style of thinking. I think it's uh, something that we all desperately need in these challenging times that we are still in. So I appreciate you being on the show, Matthew. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. It was, uh, it's always great chatting with you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, all right, everybody, go out there and make this your very best life. I know you can do it, and we'll see you next time. Boomers Forever Young is really making a name for themselves as an exciting nutritional company with products that really work. People from all over the country are starting to take notice. Their whole person approach to health and wellness, combined with their unique array of powerful natural health products, are setting them apart from all the other companies in the nutrition industry. Their customers love the one-on-one -on -one free consultations and the results they experience. Sound a little too good to be true? Then go online to boomerboost.com today and sign up for a free consultation with a product specialist or just give us a call at 1-800-861-4609. Again, that's boomerboost.com or call 1-800-861-4609 to join the thousands already experiencing the benefits of Boomers Forever Young products.